Good morning, everyone. Great to be back with you. I've missed you the last couple of weeks. Uh, kids, before you leave, we have a couple of things we want to do real quick that we thought you might want to be a part of. Um, so hang on just a couple moments. Brian, would you come? Uh, Brian Jerry has served as a pastoral resident here all of last year and uh, been a dear friend to many of us. And he has some great news to share with us. Brian, would you tell us what's going on in your life? Yes, I would love to. Uh, last Sunday, uh, I accepted a position at Light in the Desert Baptist Church in Mesa to be their pastor. So. We, um, we are in incredibly excited, nervous, scared, everything. Um, but we are grateful for our time here because last year really prepped us and got us ready for uh, pursuing, looking, interviews, <laughs> deciding how God wanted to use us. So uh, you are a significant part of that. So I want to say a huge thank you uh, to you and this church family. Uh, I have eagerly waited for today to tell you because of our excitement, and we'd love to share that with you. Um, Light in the Desert has been without a pastor for two years, so they kind of dwindled a little bit over the last couple of years. Uh, but we are eager and excited, probably primarily for two reasons. Uh, one, potential. There are rooftops everywhere out there. There's house after house after house after house. Uh, they just haven't had a pastor to invest, so we're excited about that. And the leadership team that we met with, with the search committee and various peoples that we uh, were interacting with, seemed pretty eager uh, to get to work. And so that really, really excites us uh, in a lot of ways. So I think primarily that's probably what really uh, led us to say we've, we really feel like the Lord wants us to be there. So, awesome. yeah, cool. Congratulations. Well, thank you. How can we pray for you and Lauren in the coming weeks? Yeah, uh, gosh, there are certain, you know this better than I do, there's certain parts of the job when you think about it, you get real excited, and there's other parts of the job you want to crawl in the corner and say, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I kind of I kind of lean towards I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, but no. What are you looking uh, at me for? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, so wisdom. Uh, I've just been asking God wisdom, like where as we get there, we get our feet on the ground, where do we start initially? Obviously, we're going to be preaching the scriptures, exalting Christ and honoring him, but what does that body need, right? Like what, what soul care do we need to do there, and, and we can work on that quickly. So we're praying for wisdom a lot, uh, praying for patience to depend on God rather than what we want and how quickly we want things to move, and then transition for the family. Um, we have, we've been a bit overwhelmed of how well our kids have been excited about going. So quick story, we, we preached two weeks ago uh, in view of a call, and our kids ran around like they had been there 10 years. Like they were just, serious. so they're really excited about the task ahead. So that really, really excites us. But just, yeah, pray for transition as we, as we head over there. And we'll start after Easter. We'll be, so we'll be here next Sunday uh, celebrating Easter with you guys, and then uh, we'll be there, so. Well, let's plan to take a moment next week and oh, okay. pray over you and your family. That'd be great. Um, where is Light in the Desert? It is on Sitsti and Sasaman. That's the intersection. So uh, back in the day, that may have been a, a long ways away, but these days, that's not that far. <laughs> so, uh, we're, uh, so you get off on uh, Sasaman, head south, baseline, and they're just uh, east of uh, Sasaman. So right there, not too far. And I hope I'm saying that right, Sasaman. It doesn't sound like you are to me. What? <laughs> You're not going to make it. You can't say Sasaman. Uh, maybe I'll just mumble. You know, baseline is um, uh, 
Anyway, that's right. But that'd be great. So. You're the best. <laughs> We're thrilled for you and uh, look forward to continuing to hear more about what the Lord's doing. So let's plan to pray for you next week. Thank you. Yep. Um, Brian and Lauren have made uh, a card, a prayer card, with some, some more detailed information as well as the address for Light in the Desert web address. So if you'd like to keep up with them and especially remember them in your prayers, and perhaps even there's somebody here that the Lord would want to go with them and help be a part of the work in Light in the Desert, they will plan to hang around here at the front after the gathering is over. So come and talk to them. They'll also be here next week. So we're excited for you. Thank you. Uh, second thing before we jump into the book uh, of Habakkuk is uh, we're going to finish up the book today. It may be that the, the book of Habakkuk has especially ministered to you over the last uh, six weeks. Thank you to Tad and uh, Dr. Delhousse who preached last week. But I wonder um, if you would say this in particular has been a book in the Bible God's used in a special, unique way to powerfully impact my heart. Would you? Raise your hand if that's true of you. Jill, if, well, there's a bunch of you. All right, that's um, unexpected and tremendous. Great. I have something I want to give away, and I was going to do it if only one person raised your hand. So I'm not sure what to do now. Um, if now there's going to be a lot more hands, right? Um, I noticed, well, it's Jennifer, I noticed your hand. Can I call on you? Great. Um, would you come up here? And Jill, would you hand me this? We asked uh, at the start of the series uh, a group of people in the church that are especially creative in their orientation if they would like to try and make something to represent the book. And this was created. That's so cool, she says. Would you like to show everyone? No. No? Um, so there are uh, different phrases throughout the book and the images depict the story. Am I telling this right, Dinah? Dinah created this. And uh, it's a representation of the movement of Habakkuk through the book. Is that safe? All right. So she uh, came up with that and just wanted to bless somebody in the body with a gift. So, Thank you. Yep. Enjoy. Um, those of you with artistic gifts, there may be things in the future that, that you could do to help depict uh, God's word. So be thinking about that. Kids, you are uh, dismissed for Gospel Project. And we hope you have uh, a great time as you look into the scriptures together. We'll be in uh, Habakkuk 3. So if you would turn with me there to Habakkuk chapter 3. And we will finish out the book this morning, looking at the last passage in Habakkuk 3. Nathan Freiberger is going to read today. Nathan, would you come on up? Thank you, sir. And you're going to read for us, right? Awesome. Do you want to use this stand? Do you want to sit up in this chair? All the big kids do this. There you go. Okay, so we're going to read from Habakkuk 3. That's perfect. 16 through 19. All right? You want to hold the mic or I'll do it for you? Okay. You hold it. 
Okay, I'll hold it. You, you hold it. You Great, hold it. let's do it. I hear in my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. Though the fig tree shall not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Great job. mistake, as we've said throughout uh, this series, we will, we will all face suffering. Various kinds, in various ways, different levels of intensity and types. But each of us will face hardship. I, I love you. And as I look out, I see friends and brothers and sisters who have faced great difficulty. Some of you don't know your dads. Some of you have had miscarriages. Some of you have been fired unjustly from work. Some of you are facing significant consequences for sin. Some of you are single and you don't want to be. We will all face difficulty. The question isn't, will hardship come? but how will we respond when it does come? This book, in many ways, helps us understand the process that someone has to go through in order to arrive at a place of joy and trust in God, even in hardship. Habakkuk was a prophet who walked that journey, and he learned how to suffer well. And the great news we have today from this book is that we can too. We can also learn how hardship can make us better in the Lord instead of bitter. And today as we finish out this book, it's uh, my hope that we could each discover how that can happen in our own lives. Maybe we could summarize it in this way, that Christians, we can arrive with Habakkuk in a place of trust and joy. But how does that happen? Well, these verses that Nathan read for us outline a process or a pathway to walk. First, we see that Habakkuk saw great devastation. Second, that he accepted the loss. And then finally, that he arrived at a place of God-centeredness. So Habakkuk saw great devastation Habakkuk accepted loss, and then Habakkuk arrived at a place of God-centeredness. And friends, whatever the circumstance, may we be people who trust God and have joy in Him. Like Habakkuk, 
But how do we get there? It's those three things. Accept, face devastation, accept the loss, and arrive at God-centeredness. This morning, I just would love to talk through those three things with you. First, great devastation. Sometimes when Christians face hardship and suffering, we can have a tendency to throw around nice-sounding platitudes. The kinds of things you see printed on a Christian t-shirt or under the, the image on Instagram with a nice hashtag or the verse that's on a coffee cup. The, the, the things that might sound nice, but in the moment, they're not particularly helpful. Do you know what I'm talking about? Those things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. Or the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. Or every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Other times we resort to bad theology in an attempt to comfort each other. We may find ourselves saying things like, God didn't cause that. He just wants you to be happy. Or there must be unconfessed sin in your life. That kind of suffering only happens to people God's punishing. Or God would never send that hard thing into your life. It, it must be Satan. Just pray against it and it'll go away. Friends, if we'll ever reach a place of trust and confidence in God, then we've got to come to terms with two things that don't seem like they ought to go together. One, God is completely sovereign and good. He is in control of everything. His power extends over every moment of every day of your entire life. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand is the reality that hard things happen. That we face sometimes extreme difficulty and suffering. And these two truths will seem at times in our own minds to be at odds, but they never are. God is sovereign and He's good, and our lives include difficulty and hardship. If we will ever be people that arrive at a joy and a trust and a confidence in God that's deeper than circumstances, and we must cling to both these ideals. The book of Habakkuk helps us see how. You see, pretending suffering, pretending suffering is not difficult is not a sign of spiritual maturity. And resorting to bad theology doesn't resolve difficulties. Instead, we have to let suffering, crisis, and trial bring us to the end of our resources. We're not a failure if trial brings us to the point of being completely overwhelmed. It is okay to be undone. That's what Habakkuk is describing in verse 16. He says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. 
This is a grown man describing being brought to the very end of himself. Do you hear the agony in his words? There's no hypocritical fakeness here. No platitudes, no coffee cup verses, no hashtags, no bad theology. This is a godly man in real lament because he sees things as they really are. He sees God's sovereign and he's good. And yet Judah was about to be wrecked. Both truths simultaneously true. Friends, when our circumstances are devastating, it's at that precise point that God is ushering us into joy. Why? Because for many of us, it takes that for our self-confidence to be wrecked, for pride to be broken, for self-reliance to be released. I wonder, have you been there? Have you come to the end of yourself? If you haven't yet, you will. Unless you die in a freak, random accident, you will be ushered into a circumstance that is more than you can handle. I don't know if it's today, tomorrow, 20 years from now. But this is the common plight of humanity. It doesn't matter your race, how much money you have, how educated you are, or where you're from. You will be undone. And like Habakkuk, there must be a point of recognition that this is, this is tremendous devastation. This is more than I can bear. <clears throat> Friends, without great difficulty, we would never truly know just how good God is. Without darkness, we never know the light. Without pain, we never know true joy. Brothers and sisters, we will all face hardship. We will be overwhelmed. You will not escape this. Habakkuk came to recognize this is true. And then he said, I'm going to wait. God, I will sit in devastation. And I will wait for you. I will wait for you to make things right. I will have confidence that you will do what is just. When you reach that point, my dear friends, then you are at the point of accepting the loss. 
Now, what will that loss be for you? I don't know. There's no way to predict that. But there must be a point of accepting loss. I think verses 17 and 18 are two of the most realistic and beautiful verses of the entire Bible. Let me read them for us. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vine, the produce of the olive fail in the fields yield no food. The flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Here the prophet Habakkuk describes the end of society as he knew it. This was an agrarian society, meaning you grew what you ate. If your crop didn't produce, then there was no food. So there was no fries or sprouts or home goods or bashes to drive down to. And even if there had been, then those stores would have had aisle after aisle after aisle that was simply empty. In her book, The Taste of War, Lizzie Collingham describes the fact that during the latter portion of World War II and in the winter immediately following it, 20 million people died. Can you imagine that? 20 million people. But they died not of, not of bombs, Of starvation. The devastation of World War II was so great that it left an entire continent without enough food to survive. So 20 million people died from lack of food. Habakkuk foresaw that kind of suffering in the land of Judah. Suffering in which the Babylonians would mercilessly tear down the walls, level the temple, rip families apart, leave bodies slaughtered, and carry away the very best and brightest to Babylon. The aim wasn't simply to expand. It, it was to obliterate entire cultures. If there's no figs, no fruit, no olives, no meat, no milk, then you die. And many did. Habakkuk foresaw the ravages of this coming war. And he saw that a wicked people would do it. He foresaw a time in which necessities and luxuries alike would vanish. Friends, our societies may not be destroyed like this, but we will face heart-wrenching circumstances. Some of us will sit by the bedside 
of people we really love and watch as diseases ravage their bodies. Some of us will hold hands with people, look them in the eye and say, I do. Take the marriage vow. Only to be cheated on and lied to. Some of us will enroll in a degree across the street and, and find we can't do it. We'll fail. Some of us will be diagnosed with illnesses that will cause us to be in pain every moment of every day for the rest of our lives. Some of us have kids who will choose to not follow God. I don't know what your loss will be. But I know there will be loss. Habakkuk teaches us that if, if we stiff arm and resist loss, if we don't take it to God, if we don't admit there is devastation, our hearts will become calcified and embittered. But if we bring these things to God and with his people, over time, God will bring you to a point of acceptance of the loss. We don't get through these experiences by reasoning that God had nothing to do with them or by simply pushing through in our own strength. Those things don't work. We have to learn to face devastating circumstances with supernatural smiles. Friends, that can happen. God can do that in you. How? There's two little words in that sentence that are the key. The start of verse 17 and the start of verse 18. Verse 17 begins with the word though. And the clause in verse 18 begins with the word yet. These precious little words are so helpful. Though and yet. Habakkuk's joy and trust in God developed concurrent with hardship and suffering. That's what those two words tell us. In other words, Habakkuk arrived at a point of rejoicing within sorrow. Not after it was gone. Not when the trial was over and he could see it in the rearview mirror, but in the midst of difficulty, he found God to be enough. Friends, that's the key. If we would reach a point of accepting whatever loss God brings into our lives, it would be that in the midst of trial we say, even though this incredibly difficult thing has happened, yet I will trust God. Yet I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's tempting to think that we can reach a point of rejoicing when trials are over, but that's not how it works. 
we learn joy and trust in God while we suffer. We learn to face the reality of hardship, waiting for God to make things right in the midst of accepting the loss that God has brought. This is the way the process works. Now that brings us to the third and most important piece, a place of God-centeredness. This is when God himself becomes our greatest delight and strength. Look at verse 18. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Do you remember back to the beginning of the, the book of Habakkuk? How did it start? It started with a complaint. It started with a godly man who's looking out at circumstances and he says, God, your people are acting in the evil and you're doing nothing. Do you not even care? So there's this complaint brought to God and then God responds. Yes, Habakkuk, I care. Yes, I see. Yes, I'm, I am going to respond. I'm raising up a people who will punish my people for their wickedness. And then Habakkuk complains even stronger. God, how could you do that? How could you raise up a, a wicked people to punish a good people? The irony there, you could cut it with a knife. It's so thick. So God responds again. Habakkuk, make no mistake. I am a just God. I will do what's right. Everything will turn out as I have destined it to occur. The Babylonians won't get away with their evil. I'm a just God. And then as you saw the last two weeks with Tad and with John, Habakkuk received this word from God and then he rehearsed God's great acts in the past. And here as we reach the end of the book, there is no com more complaining. There's not a hint of, of woe is me. God, how could you do this? God, don't you care? God, are you not just? There's a settledness, a peace, an acceptance, a joy. Friends, the circumstances didn't change. Habakkuk changed. By God's grace, Habakkuk, from chapter 1 to chapter 3, is a changed man. What you and I need when we face great difficulty is not a change of circumstance. We need a change of heart. And I say that with 
all the tender compassion that I have for you. Don't cling to circumstances changing. Cling to the God who never changes. What you need is not a new day. You need a new perspective. You need a God-centeredness. Here at the end of this great book, we, we find a man who everywhere he turns, he sees God. In, in two verses, he names the name of God four times. And this isn't obvious in English, but in the Hebrew, he names God's name three different ways. In other words, he calls on three different titles or designations for God in just two verses. It's as though he's saying, before everywhere I turned, all I saw was trial. And now everywhere I turn, all I see is God. It's in verse 18, he says, Lord. In verse 18, he says, God. In verse 19, he says, God. In verse 19, he says, Lord. This is a man consumed with God's presence, God's goodness, God's justice, God's power. Habakkuk is no longer glancing at his circumstances, but he's gazing at his God. And that gave him a sure-footedness, a, a confidence to live above his circumstances, which resulted in a joy and trust in God. Friends, God is all-powerful. Brothers and sisters, he is committed to his people. God is just. God keeps his promises. Evil does not win. Yes, there is real pain, difficulty, hardship, suffering, but it does not last forever. God wins. So brothers and sisters, listen to the word that Habakkuk has brought us. Allow suffering to bring you to the point that you find being close to God is better than health, wealth, ease, notoriety, all the pleasures the world can bring. God is better. Now what's the pathway to gaining this perspective that Habakkuk had. This perspective that says, by God's power, whatever the circumstance, I will trust in God and have joy in Him. Well, friends, the, the path is the same path Habakkuk walked. It's facing devastation you never would have chosen for yourself. It's coming to accept the loss. And then arriving at a point of all-consuming God-centeredness. This is the path. Does this sound familiar to you? 
Habakkuk isn't the only man to have walked along this path. He blazed the trail, but somebody else came after him who finished it. His name is Jesus. Can you see him with me in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus is there in the garden just minutes from his arrest, just hours from his crucifixion. And there in the garden we find Jesus like we never have seen him before. We find him in devastation. Matthew 26 says that Jesus was deeply troubled. Jesus pulled aside three of his disciples and he said these words. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Jesus, God, himself in flesh, looked ahead at his circumstances and he said, that is so horrific that it has brought me to the very end of myself. And then he plunged himself to the ground and in prayer, in agony so deep, his capillaries burst. Jesus said, God, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours. Jesus was wrecked by the sight of suffering for sin. But he walked that path. He acknowledged the loss that was coming. And he arrived at a place of complete trust in God's sovereignty. He said, your will be done, Father. That's good news, isn't it? You see, it's good news because... When you and I fail to walk the path of hardship correctly, when we don't trust God's sovereignty, when we get mad at Him and shake our fists, when we're tempted to doubt and wander away, there is one who walked the path for us. With arms stretched out, Jesus is ready and willing to pick you up to walk this path for you. He has already done it. This is quite simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus faced utter devastation. He accepted the loss. And he is one with the Father. Would you allow him to pick you up and carry you? Would you stand and let's pray?
Father, I pray that you would use your word now to do what only you can do. Would you bind up the brokenhearted? Would you bring low the proud? Would you heal the sick? Father, we say together that we believe. Would you help our unbelief? And Father, we affirm together as a church family that you are sovereign. You are in control. You have all power. You are good. And that somehow, in some way, every hardship that you bring into the lives of your people, you will use for the good of making us more Christ-like. So we pray that you'd help us to see you, to cling to you, to believe in you, to trust you. We pray this in Jesus' name.